Amen. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Uh, Mark 10 this morning, Mark chapter 10, if you join me in turning there, uh, we're going to continue our study together through the book of Mark. You know, there's certain things in life that are nice to know, but aren't essential. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things recently uh, with uh, kind of the gas shortage, I haven't been out lately. Everybody finding gas okay? Doing all right? Not, not, not too bad around here, but, uh, uh, you know, if you, want to, if you want to get to work, finding gas is essential, right? Finding the lowest price, that's nice, but not as essential, right? There, there is a difference there. Um, you know, there, there are certain things that, that we like and have asked uh, folks about in the area. You know, what are, your, what are your favorite restaurants? You know, we've been here a little over two years now. Where do you like to eat? That's nice, right? But it's not essential. Having food to eat, that's essential, right? <laughs> Having something to eat, that's essential. And, and, there is a, and there is a difference there, right? There are some things that are important, and then there are some things that, that are essential. So we're, we're going to be looking at that distinction today a little bit as we get work together through Mark chapter 10. And uh, if you'd follow along with me, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 this morning, Mark 10, beginning in verse 17. So the following. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Verse 21, Now then Jesus, beholding, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked Round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Verse 24, Now the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage today, we pray that you would allow our hearts to be sensitive to your leading. Father, we pray that you would clearly allow us to know exactly where we are, in our standing before you this day. Father, where there are things that need to change, would you grant us the humility necessary to make hard choices and hard decisions for your glory. Father, may we be a people who are submitted to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we, we mentioned it before, right? There are some things that are nice, and then there are some things that are essential. This one who came to Jesus in this passage was missing something that was essential. It wasn't simply a nice thing. This was something that you have to know. 
And in particular, it had to do with something that was in regard to getting to heaven. There are certain things that you must know. And, and the very first is, is a very simple idea, and that is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. We, we know that from Scripture. Jesus has made that abundantly clear. John 14, verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There is no other way to get to heaven except by Jesus. And frankly, today in the United States, there are many people in the U.S. today who would say, I agree with that. Right? There are many people who would, would look to the name of Christ and say, yeah, I agree to that. Jesus, that's the way. Jesus is the answer. And, and, and they would, would give, give uh, a, a certain amount of, of credence to that. There, there aren't all that many people in the United States today who, who actually believe that you get to heaven through animal sacrifice, right? That's not a popular opinion today. There are not very many people in the United States who, who think, well, if I pray for my dead relatives, then I can go to heaven one day and join them. There aren't so many people who think that killing infidels will get you into heaven in the United States. That is, those are not popular opinions. There are some people who believe that, but it's not the predominant opinion here. In fact, probably there, toward the majority of somebody who, who had an idea of, of what it takes to get to heaven would probably list something having to do with Jesus as a way to get there. How do you come to Jesus? That's the question, right? And that, that is what is posed before us today. Now, we, we looked at this together going back to Mark 10, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus has just given them the answer to that question. He has just described for them the way in which you come to Jesus. Mark 10, verses 14 and 15 says, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Remember, this is when they had just shooed the children away. And he saith unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 15, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God, how as a little child he shall not enter therein. How do you enter into the kingdom of God? Well, you enter in one way as a little child. Right? That, that, is the, that is the way that you enter. Now, remember, we talked about this a little bit before. Uh, children were not thought of very highly in the ancient world. Right? Many of them died. Many of them passed away. Uh, families were, were not sure. Uh, you, you know, children were sometimes viewed as, as another, another paycheck, right? another labor force, somebody else to, to work in the field, so to speak. That, that was common in that day, and, and we see that even in the disciples shooing the children away. Jesus said, not so with me. Right, we're we're going to bring the children in. Now, all of that context of little children was just an illustration. And it was an illustration to describe what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus' answer is, how do you enter the kingdom of God? You enter as a little child. Now, now what... What does that look like? Remember, children are pretty simple, generally. You tell them something, and often they will just believe it. Right? You, you, you say something to them, they, they will just believe it. Um, you know, my, my son is still looking forward to, to the day where I can go out in the backyard and hit a baseball up to the moon for him. It's a very simple understanding of how things work. Uh, that's, that's okay, right, for, for a child to have that. But... What is, the, what is the point of this? A child comes to Jesus and demonstrate, or, or anybody, and demonstrates simple childlike faith in believing. 
And, and Jesus is saying, this is your responsibility in regard to the gospel. If you want to come to the kingdom of God, don't, 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 uh, don't be hindered by all of these other things. You just have to simply come and believe, right? You, you have to trust with simple faith and believe that it's so. What, what do most people believe? Do, do they come believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and, and that by believing in him they can have eternal life? <laughs> most people start rationalizing. In fact, we could say most people, when they think about Jesus and what, what that looks like, going to God through Jesus, most would put that in the context of religion. They'd put that in the context of there, there is something that I have to do. If, if I want to, to actually be right with God, if I want to enter in the kingdom of God, it's not simple childlike faith. It is a, a list of things that I have to do. I have to keep the commandments. I have to perhaps be baptized. I have to, uh, I, I have to, to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to try to be nice to other people. I have to do enough good works to somehow offset the bad things that I've done in this life. There are a lot of ideas that people have about what it takes to get to heaven, even if they say the name of Jesus in the process. And Jesus here is saying, it is not by religion that we get to heaven. It is by simple, childlike faith. So in this account today, we have someone who is known as the rich young ruler. Verse 17, that's this man who comes to Jesus He's known as the rich young ruler, and, and you may wonder why in the world do we call him the rich young ruler? Well, you have to go to the parallel passages to fill in the adjectives there. Uh, Matthew 19, 20, and 22, he's referred to as young. Okay, so we know he's a young man. Uh, Luke 18, 18 refers to him as a ruler. And uh, right here in verse 22, we see that he has great possessions or much property. So he's rich. Right? So, so we put all those together, and we call this this man, the rich young ruler. So first point this morning is that many people are religiously devout, just like the rich young ruler. Verse 17, as we look into that again, it says, and when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running. Now, let's pause there. Let's consider this, this rich young ruler's posture toward Jesus. He's pretty eager. Right? This is not the guy who you have to twist his arm to show up at church. Right? This is not the guy who you have to beg to come with you to church on Sunday morning. He is eager. He is excited to meet Jesus, and he wants to be there. Generally speaking, is that a good attribute? Yes, that sounds pretty good so far, right? Yeah, he wants to be there. He's not just walking, he's running. How often do you see rulers run? How many presidents have you actually seen running at, at a particular event, meeting a dignitary? Right? Maybe exercising on the side, but, but generally, that's not our, our normal posture. Right? That, that's, apart from my son Daniel, most people aren't just running around the church all the time. Right? Now he, he runs all the time. Ted sometimes runs with them to keep them occupied. But, but generally speaking, that is not our, our, normal, you know, our normal, normal posture. Well, What's going on here? He, he, is, he is so eager. He is so excited to see Jesus. He, he is running up to get to him. Not only that, says verse 17, and he kneeled to him. He goes down on his knee before Jesus. That's a reverent posture. right? He, he is actually recognizing this is someone who is worthy of my respect. 
I mean, even, even when we think about our presidents in the United States, I, I don't typically see them kneeling to other dignitaries, right? They go up and shake hands, things like that. Why? Because they, they view each other as equals, right? They're heads of states. They're coming together. This young man is reverently bowing before Jesus, showing him respect. He also uses words that display humility. It says, he asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So even in his language there, he approaches him and addresses him. Good master or good teacher. Shows respect in his approach to Jesus. All of those are good things. And he asks them the question, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Important question. By all accounts, this is a very good start. Right? This is a very good start of somebody approaching Jesus and, 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 and how, how someone should, should come to him, recognizing who he is. But there's a little problem in that question. He said, what shall I do that, may, that I may inherit eternal life? Now, that question assumes that you actually have to do something to inherit eternal life. There's an issue even in the question itself. And, and, and this is common in our, in our day and age. Uh, you, you know, we, we say things and have ideas about things, you know, Anything worthwhile in life takes effort, right? We, we use expressions like that. Right? No such thing as a free lunch. I mean, we, 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 use, th- we use expressions like that, right? Uh, if if we, we have an idea that if we're going to get something or if something's going to be done, we have to do something. Right? That, you, you know, even, even, the, uh, even the free stuff you get, you know, sign up for the free vacation giveaway, it comes with strings attached. They're going <laughs> to... They're gonna, there's a lot involved in that, right? You're going to get telemarketing calls for dinner for the rest of your life. Right? And you'll never get the vacation. But we, we, we have this idea. There is something that we have to do in order to actually get something that, that's worthwhile. And, and that's, that's this rich young ruler's understanding. That's his approach to Jesus as he goes in to meet him. And there are a lot of things in life that require hard work in order to do something. We're honoring our graduates today. Uh, some things in life are hard. Jacob, is high school sometimes hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't see no. Oh, there's Nolan back there. Was was uh, was your uh, education there? Working on your grad degree hard at times? Yeah, yeah. It was hard, right? And, and what happened? Uh, these guys earned it, and and it, those schools didn't just hand them a diploma. Right? They had to work for it. And there are things in life that we have to work for. There are things in life that we have to work for in order to earn. But it's different with salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, how not of works, lest any man should boast. See, salvation doesn't come by what we do. That's not the basis for it. Secondly, this morning, we'll see that there are many who are religiously deceived, just like this rich young ruler. Verse 18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, 
Honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. So he said, I have kept all the commandments. Help me out here. Has he really kept all of the commandments? Do you really think he kept all of the commandments? You guys are being nice. You don't want to just call it out. Okay, I see some heads shaking no, right? No, no he hasn't. There are two options here. One is he's a liar. Second is he's deceived. One or the other is true of this rich young ruler. When he says, I have never broken the commandments. Well, thou shalt not commit murder. Right? Don't murder anybody. Say, well, I, I've never murdered anybody. Well, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I don't know. I, I don't know your whole life history. Jesus on the, service, on the Sermon of the Mount said, He who hateth his brother is committing murder. So he's saying there's a heart issue involved in these commandments. Never committed adultery. Man, have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Jesus said that's committing adultery in your heart. It's happened. Everybody has broken the commandments. It has occurred. And, and this young man is either a liar or he is deceived, one or the other. There's no other option. It, it has to be one or, or the other. So, Pastor, you say to me that God gave us all of these commandments. He gave us all of them and none of us can keep them. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. God has given us all of these commandments, and there is not one of us in here today who can keep them all. So perhaps the question comes to your mind then, well, why did God give us these commandments that we're supposed to keep in order to get to heaven even at all? Well, there's a problem with that question. God didn't give us the commandments in order to keep them in order to go to heaven. That's not why he gave us the commandments. This young man didn't understand why God had given us the commandments. So let's answer that question. Why does God give us the commandments? Why do we have the law of God? Romans 3 verse 20 gives us an example of, of that answer. Romans 3 verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does that mean? We have the commandments, we have the law, we have the word of God that will point out to us what sin looks like. The commandments teach us that. They show us what's right, they show us what's wrong. Romans 3.28, just a few verses down, says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, how? Without the deeds of the law. So can you get saved by the commandments? No. You're not justified by the deeds of the law. You're justified by faith. Commandments are not there for salvation. They're there to teach us. Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So let's say righteousness is not based on the law. The law actually tells you what is true. And do you know what's true? You're a sinner. That's what the law tells us. I'm a sinner. And so when we see the commandments, when we see the standard of God, 
and we all fall short, we come to the realization that I am a sinner. Galatians 3, just after that, the next verse, verse 22 says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith, by faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that, faith has come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. Okay, so we have the law. It's our tutor. It's our schoolmaster. It points out to us that we're sinners, that we fall short of God's perfect standard. And it's not there to save us. It's not by the law that we're saved, but rather it is by simple childlike faith. So the law teaches us I'm a sinner. I am in need of a savior because I can't do this on my own. I am unrighteous, standing before a righteous and holy God. How could I ever overcome this miserable sin in my life? By simple, childlike faith in Jesus, the one who died on the cross, shed his own blood in order that we might be saved. See, there are many who are religiously deceived today. Many who claim that maybe they think they're so good that they can keep all the commandments. That's a lie. There's no way they could keep all the commandments. There's no way this young man could keep all the commandments. He, he failed to understand the purpose of the commandments. And he also failed to understand that he was not a good person. Verse 28 here in, in Mark 10 makes that abundantly clear. Jesus is pointing that very fact out to him. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Jesus is posing before him this very question. When you call me good, are you recognizing me as God? And at the same time, are you recognizing that that is not you? Are you recognizing that you are not good? But I am. You know, it's amazing today. Uh, this whole idea of a good person is, is something that is so much ingrained in our society. Right? Someone passes away. Well, they were a good person. Right? That, that is the common phrase that we hear. Right? There is none good but God. <laughs> I heard someone uh, who actually looked this up. You remember, uh, you remember the uh, books that came out, why, why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Remember that book? That's a real popular book. If you actually look for that term, you will find tons and tons of answers on Google. I'm not encouraging you to go there to find these answers, right? But, but you will find tons and tons of answers of why do bad things happen to good people. Now, if you search the other way, why do good things happen to bad people? You're not going to find nearly as many answers or sites or anything even talking about that. Why? Because the assumption is that most people are basically good. And you will hear that on the talk shows. You will hear it on TV. People who just say, people are just basically good, and we just all have to get along. It's a lie. You, the answer to that question, why do bad things happen to good people? You know what the answer almost never is? They weren't good to begin with. You don't see that in the response. But that is probably the, the most accurate answer that you will see. Why? Because 
we are not good people. We are sinners. We transgress against the holy God. We fall short of his perfect standard. There is no one good but God. Kind of depressing in a way, isn't it? But you know, in knowing that, means that we have an understanding that we need a savior. One who is good, one who is the good master, one who is the good teacher, the one who truly actually lived life without breaking the commandments, the one who is without sin. And in him we have hope. Not in our righteousness, but in his righteousness. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. You know, when you understand the commandments and their purpose, you cry out to God, God, be merciful to me, a poor sinner. Why? Because I'm not good. But that's not what happened here with the rich young ruler. That, that's not his response. Verse 21 goes on, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. All right, now that verse 21 says that Jesus loved him. And that's, that's the best translation there. Jesus loved him. And, and when he does love him, he gives him a challenge. No, knowing that this is one who, who is standing before him, still looking to his own works, looking to something that he can do to religiously perform in order to gain eternal life. Jesus gives him a challenge. He gives him an invitation to repent. That word repentance just means a change of mind. The Old Testament, it literally meant to turn. And it's pretty simple. He's saying to him, look, you're not good. Only God is good. But would you turn from your sin? Would you turn from, from what is causing you to go down a pathway toward hell? And instead, would you look to God? Would you understand who God is? The one who sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Would you change your life from where you continue in your own way, in your own strength, in your own ability, and instead say, I'm going to believe and follow after Jesus. See, he, he came to Jesus. Was that the right place to be? Yeah, that's the right place to be. I mean, he, he came to the right God. He came to the right Savior. He, he eagerly ran to Jesus. He was excited to be there. He showed him respect. He bowed down before him. He asked him the questions, calling him good teacher, good master, because he knew that Jesus had the answer. And then Jesus gives him the answer. And he rejects it. Maybe you're asking that question this morning. Well, does this mean in order to be saved that I have to sell everything I have and give it to the poor? No, that's not what this passage is teaching. But there ought to be a recognition that the things of this world are leading us away from God. That there are things in this world system that are set up to ensnare us and pull us away from God. 
And whatever God would have me to do, I will follow after him, whatever the cost. He's my God. He, he, Jesus is my Savior. I will follow him. I, I will do whatever he, he would like for me to do. To have a heart that recognizes Jesus truly is God. And, and by the grace of God, I want nothing to keep me from him. You ever had that moment where you just say, I am so sick of sin. I just hate sin. I hate sin in my life. I, I'm just so tired of it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of its effects. I'm tired of the repercussions. I, I, it's leading me to hell. I don't want to go there. I don't want this anymore. And your mind changes. You, you turn from that pathway, and, and instead you, you turn to Jesus. You say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Save me from my sin. Save me from that eternal destruction. And with, with just simple childlike faith, say, I believe. I believe. I want my Savior. See, that's repentance. Verse 22, we see that young man's response. He says he was sad at that saying. Went away grieved, for he had great possessions. What happened? He said, I'm not, I'm not leaving behind my wealth. God, you're not worth that. I'm clinging to my money. If you'd only asked 10%, perhaps he would have given it, right? <laughs> He's clinging to something and said, I want it my way. I'm going to live this life my way. Jesus, I'm not going to do it your way. And grieved, he leaves Jesus behind and he walks away. He had the right Jesus. He had the right God. He had the right Savior. But he said, I'm going to come to you through my works. And Jesus just simply said, that won't work. We have an illustration of this. Beginning in verse 23, Jesus looked round about, saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. Why in the world would they be astonished at his words? Well, a lot of people think that if you're financially well off, that means that God has blessed you, right? You're, you're set. You're right with God. If you're not doing so well, then maybe you did something wrong that upset the Lord. Jesus is saying that's not the issue here. That's not how this works. Exact opposite. Riches can be a snare. The disciples were astonished at his words. Verse 24, Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Boy, imagine that standard, a camel going through an eye of a needle. I've never seen that happen. I've, I've never seen that actually occur. Now, people try to make up these different things. Well, there was a needle gate, and the camel had to get down and go through it and all this stuff, except there never was, and they just kind of made it up, right? This is an example of something that is physically impossible, right? A camel doesn't go through an eye of a needle. I mean, a cat goes through the eye of a needle, right? I mean, it's something that big will never make it. It's hard enough to get thread through an eye of a needle sometimes. And 
The disciples hear this and they are absolutely astonished. Who then can be saved? Are we doomed, Lord? Are we absolutely doomed? Will will there never be a rich person in heaven? And we get the answer in verse 27. Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, even that rich man clinging to his riches, who it it, it seems is the, the ultimate Ebenezer Scrooge, unwilling to give it up, God himself can change his heart. The Holy Spirit can work in his life. He can be drawn to the Savior. He can believe the gospel. See, the, the, the things that seem impossible to us, they're not impossible for God. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, someone in your family. I, I, I think of my uncle often. You know, somebody who lived a hard life, who never wanted anything to do with God. I remember specifically being at my grandparents' house and playing a Christian program on the TV. And he would sit there and he would listen to it. And then when they started talking about God, he'd get up and leave the room, right? And, and, and then after a while, he'd come back. And 10 minutes later, he'd sit down and he'd watch another 10 minutes until something was mentioned about God. And he'd get up and leave the room and rage. What happened? It wasn't his hard life. It wasn't, it wasn't heroin. It wasn't all the alcohol. That wasn't what killed him. It was lung cancer, of all things. And as he was on his deathbed, he repented of his sin and he believed. And he said he wanted Jesus to save him. Well, for me, looking at that from a human perspective, I would have said that is impossible. If you had told me that, that this uncle I grew up with, who, who lived in a way that, which displayed time and time again that he, was, he hated God, would come to Christ in simple childlike faith, I said, no way. But with men it is impossible. But not with God. For with God all things are possible. See, this doesn't mean that you can't be rich. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be rich even. It does say that you shouldn't cling to your wealth and love your money more than God. It does say that money shouldn't become an idol in your life. And certainly scripture gives plenty of examples of how that's dangerous in the life of any believer. See, people in this life will often cling to their love of money over and above God. So much so that they'll look to their money as their source of somehow being a means to get to, get to heaven. A means to enter the kingdom of God. They will cling to their works and their, their own ideas about what heaven should be like. Rather than just in simple childlike faith coming before God. A few things I want you to consider this morning. First is very simple. Jesus rejects those who come by way of religion. It's not based on what you do. You know, you probably know somebody who in your neighborhood is, is a good person. Maybe you've got a good neighbor somewhere, right? Somebody who's nice. You go out of town and they cut your grass, you know, whatever it is. You, there's probably somebody that you like. And you just say very simply that he's a good guy. Being a good guy will never get him into heaven. 
Jesus rejects those who come by way of religion. Secondly, I want you to just consider very simply that there are many people out there who reject Jesus' invitation to, to repent of sin and believe. It, it, it is commonplace. People will cling to their sin. They will cling to what they want. They will cling to the direction that they're going in. And they'll never get to the point to where they just say, I hate this. I'm a sinner. I don't want this anymore. I need a savior. Thirdly, I, I just ask you to consider this question. How have you come to Jesus? Did you come as the rich young ruler, thinking that you had something to offer God? Did you come with something in your hands, maybe as your wallet, maybe it was something else, your service, where, where you said, God, this is for you. Because of this, I, I deserve to be saved. God, will you accept this offering? If I do this thing, can I be saved? Sad fact is that Jesus will reject that offering. But instead, if you come as a child, what does a child have to offer? Well, nothing at all. They come arms open. They come as themselves, just simply believing, simply trusting. If you come as a child, you can have eternal life. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. All the work was done by Jesus on the cross. We just simply believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the power of the gospel and the power of your word. Father, we do thank you that you have given us answers about what it means uh, to enter into the kingdom of God. Father, how we can know for sure whether or not we have eternal life. Father, do pray for those who are listening even right now. They'd come with simple, childlike faith. They would examine their hearts and say, either I've done this or I haven't. Father, if there's anybody who's listening who would recognize today, I didn't come with simple, childlike faith. I came with my works. I came with my idea of how I could earn salvation. I came with my thoughts of what religiously was required of me. Father, I pray that today would be that day of salvation. Today would be that day where they would believe in simple childlike faith and be saved. Father, I pray that you would work in hearts and grant humility if that's needed today. Father, I pray also for those of us who know you. Father, those of us who have come to Jesus in simple childlike faith. Father, far too often we present the kingdom of God as something that has to be done. We prescribe the idea of, of it's coming to church or reading your Bible rather than clearly delineating that faith in Christ, faith alone, is enough. Father, just pray that, that this morning you would challenge our hearts about the need for clarity in our gospel presentations. That our presentations would be clearly not based on works, but just on simple childlike faith. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to give you a chance to respond. As the pianist begins to play. Is there anybody out there today who would say very simply, 
When I came to God, I came based on my religion, came based on what I've done or what I thought I needed to do. And it wasn't simple childlike faith, but today I'm coming to Jesus, just me, nothing to do. Saying, Jesus, save me. If that's you today, I'm not going to call you out, but I would like to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand? No one's looking around. ask you today one more question. Say I've been burdened for somebody, somebody I know, and I want to present the gospel to them today. Clear gospel, not mixed with works. Pastor, would you just pray that they would repent and believe the gospel? They would come to Christ in simple, childlike faith. Would you pray for me as I go? That's you. I, I just like the privilege of praying for you this week. Is anybody like that at all? Maybe somebody came to mind. All right. Amen. Amen. Holy Father, for these who will be going out this week, seeking to share the truth, pray that you'd give them boldness. Grant them opportunity. Father, give them clarity. Speak the truth. Father, may they present your gospel without the works of man. Father, we pray for those who will be hearing this message. Pray that you would save them, Lord. Pray that their hearts would be ready to receive your word, and that they would believe. So, Father, we just give you thanks for all that you're going to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.